Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, another story from one of my favorite authors, Jack London. This one's called The End of the Story. Hope you enjoy it. Part 1 The table was of hand-hewn spruce boards, and the men who played whist had frequent difficulties in drawing home their tricks across the uneven surface. Though they sat in their undershirts, the sweat nodded and oozed on their faces, yet their feet, heavily moccasined and woolen-socked, tingled with the bite of the frost. Such was the difference of temperature in the small cabin between the floor level and a yard or more above it. The sheet-iron Yukon stove roared red-hot, yet eight feet away, on the meat shelf, placed low and beside the door, lay chunks of solidly frozen moose and bacon. The door, a third of the way up from the bottom, was a thick rime. In the chinking between the logs at the back of the bunks, the frost showed white and glistening. A window of oiled paper furnished light. The lower portion of the paper on the inside was coated an inch deep with the frozen moisture of the men's breath. They played a momentous rubber of whist, for the pair that lost was to dig a fishing hole through the seven feet of ice and snow that covered the Yukon. "'It's mighty unusual, a cold snap like this in March,' remarked the man who shuffled. "'What would you call it, Bob?' "'All fifty-five or sixty below. All of that. What do you make it, Doc?' Doc turned his head and glanced at the lower part of the door with a measuring eye. "'Not a bit worse than fifty. If anything, slightly under. Maybe forty-nine. See the ice on the door? It's just about the fifty mark, but you'll notice the upper edge is ragged. The time she went seventy below, the ice climbed a full four inches higher. He picked up his hand and, without ceasing from sorting, called, "'Come in!' to a knock on the door." The man who entered was a big, broad-shouldered Swede, though his nationality was not discernible until he had removed his ear-flap cap and thawed away the ice which had formed on beard and mustache and which served to mask his face. While engaged in this, the men at the table played out the hand. "'I hear one Dr. Fowler stop this camp,' the Swede said inquiringly, looking anxiously from face to face, his own face haggard and drawn from severe and long-endured pain." "'I come long way, north fork of the Wyo.' "'I'm the doctor. What's the matter?' In response, the man held up his left hand, the second finger of which was monstrously swollen. At the same time, he began a rambling, disjointed history of the coming and growth of his affliction. "'Let me look at it,' the doctor broke in impatiently. "'Lay it on the table. There. Like that.' Tenderly, as if it were a great boil, the man obeyed. Hmph, the doctor grumbled. A weeping sinew. I traveled a hundred miles to have it fixed. I'll fix it in a jiffy. You watch me, and next time you can do it yourself. Without warning, squarely and at right angles, and savagely, the doctor brought the edge of his hand down on the swollen, crooked finger. The man yelled with consternation and agony. It was more like the cry of a wild beast, and his face was a wild beast as he was about to spring on the man who had perpetrated the joke. "'That's all right,' the doctor placated sharply and authoritatively. "'How do you feel? Better, eh? "'Of course. Next time you can do it yourself. "'Go on and deal, Struthers. I think we've got you.' "'Slow and ox-like, on the face of the Swede dawned relief and comprehension. "'The paying over, the finger felt better. "'The pain was gone. 
"'he examined the finger curiously, with wondering eyes, "'slowly crooking it back and forth. "'He reached into his pocket and pulled out a gold sack. "'How much?' "'The doctor shook his head impatiently. "'Nothing. I'm not practicing. "'Your play, Bob.' "'The Swede moved heavily on his feet, "'re-examined the finger, "'then turned an admiring gaze on the doctor. "'You're a good man. What's your name?' "'His name's Dr. Linday,' Struthers answered, "'as if solicitous to save his opponent from further irritation. "'The day's half done,' Linday said to the Swede "'at the end of the hand, while he shuffled. "'Better rest overnight. It's too cold for traveling. "'There's a spare bunk over there.' "'He was a slender brown-haired man, "'lean-cheeked, thin-lipped, and strong. "'The smooth-shaven face was a healthy sallow. "'All his movements were quick and precise. "'He did not fumble his cards. "'The eyes were black, direct, and piercing, "'with the trick of seeming to look beneath the surfaces of things. "'His hands, slender, fine, and nervous, "'appeared made for delicate work.' and to the most casual eye they conveyed an impression of strength. "'Our game,' he announced, drawing in the last trick. "'Now for the rub, and who digs the fishing hole?' A knock at the door brought a quick exclamation from him. "'Yeah, seems we just can't finish this rubber,' he complained, as the door opened. "'What's the matter with you?' This last to the stranger who entered. The newcomer vainly strove to move his ice-bound jaws and jowls. "'that he had been on the trail for long hours and days was patent. "'The skin across the cheekbones was black with repeated frostbite. "'From nose to chin was a mass of solid ice "'perforated by the hole through which he breathed. "'Through this he had also spat tobacco juice, "'which had frozen, as it trickled, "'into an amber-colored icicle, "'pointed like a Van Dyke beard. "'He shook his head dumbly, grinned with his eyes, "'and drew near to the stove to throw his mouth to speech. "'He assisted the process with his fingers,' "'clawing off fragments of melting ice "'which rattled and sizzled on the stove. "'Nothing the matter with me,' he finally announced. "'But if there's a doctor in the outfit, he's sure needed. "'There's a man up the little Paco "'that's had a ruction with a panther, "'and the way he's clawed is something scandalous.' "'How far up?' Dr. Linday demanded. "'About a hundred miles.' "'How long since?' "'I've been three days coming down.' Bad? Shoulder dislocated. Some ribs broke for sure. Right arm broke. And clawed clean to the bone, most all over but the face. We sewed up two or three bad places temporary and tied arteries with twine. That settles it. Linday sneered. Where were they? Stomach. He's a sight by now. Not on your life. Washed clean with bug-killing dope before we stitched. Only temporary anyway. Had nothing but linen thread. "'but wash that, too.' "'He's as good as dead,' was Linday's judgment, "'as he angrily fingered the cards. "'Nope. That man ain't going to die. "'He knows I've come for a doctor, "'and he'll make out to live till you get there. "'He won't let himself die. I know him.' "'Christian science and gangrene, eh?' came the sneer. "'Well, I'm not practicing, "'nor can I see myself traveling a hundred miles at fifty below for a dead man.' "'I traveled it, and for a man a long ways from dead.' "'Linday shook his head. "'Sorry you had your trip for nothing. "'Better stop over for the night.' "'Nope. We're pulling out in ten minutes.' "'What makes you so cocksure?' "'Linday demanded testily. 
"'Then it was that Tom Daw made the speech of his life. "'Because he's just going on living till you get there. "'If it takes you a week to make up your mind. "'Besides, his wife's with him, not shedding a tear or nothing, "'and she's helping him live till you come. "'They think a almighty heap of each other. "'And she's got a will like his, and if he weakened, "'she'd just put her immortal soul into his and make him live. "'Though he ain't weakening none. "'You can stack on that. "'I'll stack on it. "'I'll lay you three to one, in ounces. "'He's alive when you get there. "'I got a team of dogs down the bank. "'You ought to allow to start in ten minutes, "'and we ought to make it back in less than three days "'because the trail's broke. "'I'm going down to the dogs now, "'and I'll look for you in ten minutes.' "'Tom Daw pulled down his ear-flaps, "'drew on his mittens, and went out. "'Damn him!' Linday cried, "'glaring vindictively at the closed door.' We'll return with part two right after these sponsor messages. And now part two of The End of the Story by Jack London. That night, long after dark, with 25 miles behind them, Linday and Tom Daw went into camp. It was a simple but adequate affair. A fire built in the snow. Alongside, their sleeping furs spread in a single bed on a mat of spruce boughs. Behind the bed, an oblong of canvas stretched to retract the heat. Behind the bed, an oblong of canvas stretched to refract the heat. Daw fed the dogs and chopped ice and firewood. Linday's cheeks burned with frostbite as he squatted over the cooking. They ate heavily, smoked a pipe, and talked while they dried their moccasins before the fire, and turned into sleep the dead sleep of fatigue and health. Morning found the unprecedented cold snap broken. Linde estimated the temperature at 15 below and rising. Dahl was worried. That day would see them in the canyon, he explained, and if the spring thaw set in, the canyon would be running water. The walls of the canyon were hundreds to thousands of feet high. They could be climbed, but the going would be slow. Camped well in the dark and forbidding gorge, over their pipe that evening they complained of the heat, and both agreed that the thermometer must be above zero. "'the first time in six months. "'Nobody ever heard tell of a panther this far north,' "'Daw was saying. "'Rocky called it a cougar. "'But I shot a many of them down in Curry County, Oregon, "'where I come from, and we called him panther. "'Anyway, it was a bigger cat than I've ever seen. "'It was a monster cat. "'Now how did it ever stray to such an out-of-the-way hunting range? "'That's the question.' "'Linday made no comment. "'He was nodding. "'Propped on sticks,' His moccasins steamed unheated and unturned. The dogs, curled in furry balls, slept in the snow. The crackle of an ember accentuated the profound of silence that reigned. He awoke with a start and gazed at Daw, who nodded and returned the gaze. Both were listening. From far off came a vague disturbance that increased to a vast and somber roaring. As it neared, ever increasing, riding the mountain tops as well as the canyon depths, "'bowing the forest before it, "'bending the meager, crevice-rooted pines "'on the walls of the gorge. "'They knew it for what it was. "'A wind, strong and warm, "'a balmy gale drove past them, "'flinging a rocket shower of sparks from the fire. "'The dogs, aroused, sat on their haunches, "'bleak noses pointed upward, "'and raised a long wolf howl. "'It's the Chinook,' Daw said. "'It means the river trail, I suppose.' "'Sure thing. "'At ten miles of it is easier than one over the tops.' 
Dawes surveyed Linde for a long, considering minute. "'We just had fifteen hours of trail!' he shouted above the wind, tentatively, and again waited. "'Doc,' he said finally, "'are you game?' For answer, Linde knocked out his pipe and began to pull on his damp moccasins. Between them, and in few minutes, bending to the force of the wind, the dogs were harnessed, camp broken, and the cooking outfit and unused sleeping furs lashed on the sled. Then, through the darkness, for a night of travel, they churned out on the trail Doe had broken nearly a week before. And all through the night the Chinook roared, and they urged the weary dogs and spurred their own jaded muscles. Twelve hours of it they made, and stopped for breakfast after twenty-seven hours on the trail. "'An hour's sleep,' said Daw, when they had woofed pounds of straight moose meat fried with bacon. For two hours Daw let his companion sleep, afraid himself to close his eyes. He occupied himself with making marks upon the soft surface, shrinking snow. Visibly it was shrinking. In two hours the snow level sank three inches. From every side, faintly heard and near, under the voice of the spring wind, came the trickling of hidden waters. The little Paco, strengthened by the multitudinous streamlets, rose against the manacles of winter, riving the ice with crashings and snappings. Daw touched Linde on the shoulder, touched him again, shook, and then shook violently. Doc, he murmured admiringly, you can sure go some. The weary black eyes, under heavy lids, acknowledged the compliment. But that ain't the question, Doc. Rocky's clawed something scandalous, as I said before. I helped sew up his innards. Doc, he shook the man whose eyes had again closed. I say, Doc, the question is, can you go some more? Do you hear me? I say, can you go some more? The weary dogs snapped and whimpered when kicked from their sleep. The going was slow, not more than two miles an hour, and the animals took every opportunity to lie down in the wet snow. Twenty miles of this, and we'll be through the gorge,' Dole encouraged. "'After that the ice can go to blazes, for we could take to the bank, and it's only ten more miles to camp. "'Why, Doc, Doc, we're almost there. "'And when you get Rocky fixed up, you can come down in a canoe in one day.' But the ice grew more uneasy under them, breaking loose from the shoreline and rising steadily, inch by inch. In places where it still held to the shore, the water overran, and they waded and slushed across.' The little Paco growled and muttered. Cracks and fissures were forming everywhere as they battled on for the miles, each one of which meant ten along the tops. "'Get on the sled, Doc, and take a snooze,' Doe invited. The glare from the black eyes prevented him from repeating the suggestion. As early as midday they received definite warning of the beginning of the end. Cakes of ice, borne downward in the rapid current, began to thunder beneath the ice on which they stood— Dogs whimpered anxiously and yearned for the bank. "'That means open water above,' Daw explained. "'Pretty soon she'll jam somewheres, and the river will raise a hundred feet in a hundred minutes. "'It's us for the tops if we can find a way to climb out. "'Come on! Hit her up! "'And just to think, the Yukon will stick solid for weeks.' Unusually narrow at this point, the great walls of the canyon were too precipitous to scale. Daw and Linde had to keep on and they kept on, till the disaster happened. With a loud explosion, the ice broke asunder midway under the team. The two animals in the middle of the string went into the fissure, and the grip of the current on their bodies 
dragged the lead dog backward and in. Swept downstream under the ice, these three bodies began to drag to the edge the two whining dogs that remained. The men held back frantically on the sled, but were slowly drawn along with it. It was all over in the space of seconds. Daw slashed the wheel dog's traces with his sheath knife, and the animal whipped over the ice edge and was gone. The ice on which they stood broke into a large and pivoting cake that ground and splintered against the shore ice and rocks. Between them they got the sled ashore and up into a crevice in time to see the ice cake up edge sink and down shelf from view. Meat and sleeping furs were made into packs, and the sled was abandoned. Linde resented Dawes taking the heavier pack, but Daw had his will. "'You got to work as soon as you get there. I don't. Come on.' It was one in the afternoon when they started to climb. At eight that evening they cleared the rim, and for half an hour lay where they had fallen. Then came the fire, a pot of coffee, and an enormous feed of moose meat. But first Linde hefted the two packs, and found his own lighter by half. "'You're an iron man, Daw,' the doc admired. "'Who, me? Pshaw! You ought to see Rocky. He's made out of platinum and armor plate, and pure gold, and all strong things. I'm mountaineer, but he plumb beats me out. Down in Curry County, I used to most kill the boys when we run bear. So when I hooks up with Rocky on our first hunt, I had a mean idea to show him a few. I let out the links good and generous.' "'most night keeping up with the dogs, "'and along comes Rocky a-treading on my heels. "'I knowed he couldn't last that way, "'and I just laid down and did my dangdest, "'and there he was at the end of another hour, "'a-treading steady and regular on my heels. "'I was some huffed. "'Maybe you'd like to come to the front "'and show me how to travel,' I says. "'Sure,' says he. "'And he done it. "'I stayed with him. "'But let me tell you, "'I was plumb tuckered by the time the bear treed.' "'They ain't no stopping that man. "'He ain't afraid of nothing. "'Last fall, before the freeze-up, "'him and me was headed for camp about twilight. "'I was clean shot out. "'Tarmigan. "'And he had one cartridge left. "'And the dogs treat a she-grizzly. "'Small one. "'Only weighed about three hundred. "'But you know what grizzlies is. "'Don't do it,' says I, "'when he ups with his rifle. "'You only got that one shot, "'and it's too dark to see the sights. "'Climb a tree,' says he. I didn't climb no tree, but when that bear come down a-cussin' among the dogs, and only creased, I want to tell you I was sure hankerin' for a tree. It was some ruction. Then things come on real bad. The bear slid down a hollow against a big log. Downside, that log was four feet up and down. Dogs couldn't get at a bear that way. Upside was steep gravel, so the dogs just naturally slid down into the bear. There was no jumpin' back and the bear was a-mangling them as fast as they come. All under brush, getting pretty dark. No cartridges left, nothing. What's Rocky up and do? He goes down side of the log, reaches over with his knife, and begins slashing. But he can only reach the bear's rump, and dogs being ruined fast, one, two, three at a time. Rocky's getting desperate. He don't like to lose his dogs. He jumps on the top log, grabs the bear by the slack of the rump, and heaves him over backward right over top of that log. Down they go, kitten caboodle, twenty feet, bear, dogs, and Rocky, sliding, cussing, and scratching, kerplump into ten feet of water in the bed of the stream. They all swam out different ways. Nope, he didn't get the bear, but he saved the dogs. That's Rocky. 
"'There's no stopping him when his mind's set.' "'It was at the next camp that Linde heard how Rocky had come to be injured. "'Well, I'd been up the draw, about a mile from the cabin, "'looking for a piece of birch likely enough for an axe handle. "'Coming back, I heard the darndest goings-ons where we had a bear trap set. "'Some trapper had left the trap in an old catch, and Rocky had fixed it up. "'But the goings-on? It was Rocky and his brother Harry. First I'd hear one yell and laugh.' "'and then the other, like it was some game. "'And what do you think their fool game was? "'I saw some pretty nervy cusses down in Curry County, "'but they beat all. "'They got a whopping big panther in the trap "'and was taking turns wrapping it on the nose with a light stick. "'But that weren't the point. "'I just come out of the brush in time to see Harry wrap it. "'Then he chops six inches off the stick and passes it to Rocky. "'You see, that stick was growing shorter all the time. "'That ain't as easy as you might think.' The panther had slacked back and hunched down and spit, and it was mighty lively in ducking the stick, and you never knowed when it would jump. It was caught by the hind leg, which was curious too, and it had some slack, I'm telling you. It was just a game of dare they was playing, and the stick getting shorter and shorter, and the panther madder and madder. By and by there weren't no stick left, only a nubbin, about four inches long, and it was Rocky's turn. Better quit now, says Harry. "'What for?' says Rocky. "'Cause if you wrap him again, "'there won't be no stick for me,' Harry answers. "'Then you'll quit and I'll win,' says Rocky with a laugh, "'and goes to it. "'And I don't want to see anything like it again. "'That cat had bunched back and down "'till it had all of six feet slack in its body, "'and Rocky's stick, four inches long. "'The cat got him. "'You couldn't see one from the other. "'No chance to shoot. "'It was Harry in the end, "'that got his knife into the panther's jugular. "'If I'd have known how he got it, "'I'd have never come with you,' was Linde's comment. "'Daw nodded concurrence. "'That's what she said. "'She told me sure not to whisper how it happened. "'Is he crazy?' "'Linde demanded in his wrath. "'They're all crazy. "'Him and his brother are all the time "'deviling each other to tomfool things. "'I seen him swim the riffle last fall. "'Bad water and mush eyes running.' "'on a dare. "'They ain't nothing they won't tackle. "'And she's most as bad. "'Not afraid of some herself. "'She'll do anything Rocky will let her. "'But he's almighty careful with her. "'Treats her like a queen. "'No camp work or such for her. "'That's why another man and me are hired on good wages. "'They got slathers of money, "'and they're sure dippy on each other. "'Looks like good hunting,' says Rocky, "'when they struck that section last fall. "'Let's make a camp, then,' says Harry. "'and me all the time thinking they was looking for gold. "'Ain't been a prospect pan washed the whole winter.' "'Linday's anger mounted. "'I haven't any patience with fools. "'For two cents I'd turn back.' "'No, you wouldn't,' Doe assured him confidently. "'They ain't enough grub to turn back, and we'll be there tomorrow. "'Just, just got to cross that last divide and drop down to the cabin. "'And there's a better reason. "'You're too far from home.' "'and I just naturally wouldn't let you turn back.' "'Exhausted as Linde was, "'the flash in his black eyes warned Daw "'that he had overreached himself. "'His hand went out. "'My mistake, Doc. Forget it. "'I reckon I'm getting some cranky "'what of losing them dogs.' "'Part Three. "'Not one day, but three days later, "'the two men, after being snowed in on the summit "'by a spring blizzard, "'staggered up to a cabin that stood in a fat bottom "'beside the roaring little Paco. 
Coming in from the bright sunshine to the dark cabin, Linde observed little of its occupants. He was no more than aware of two men and a woman, but he was not interested in them. He went directly to the bunk where lay the injured man. The latter was lying on his back with eyes closed, and Linde noted the slender stenciling of the brows and the kinky silkiness of the brown hair. Thin and wan, the face seemed too small for the muscular neck, yet the delicate features, despite their waist, were firmly molded. "'What dresses have you been using?' Linde asked of the woman. "'Corrosive, sublimate, regular solution,' came the answer. He glanced quickly at her, shot an even quicker glance at the face of the injured man, and stood erect. She breathed sharply, abruptly biting off the respiration with an effort of will. Linde turned to the men. "'You, clear out. Chop wood or something. Clear out.' One of them demurred. "'This is a serious case,' Linde went on. "'I want to talk with his wife.' "'I'm his brother,' said the other. To him the woman looked, praying him with her eyes. He nodded reluctantly and turned toward the door. "'Me too?' Daw queried from the bench where he had flung himself down. "'Yeah, you too.' Linde busied himself with a superficial examination of the patient while the cabin was emptying. "'So?' he said. "'So that's your Rex Strang.' She dropped her eyes to the man in the bunk as if to reassure herself of his identity, and then in silence returned Linde's gaze. "'Why don't you speak?' She shrugged her shoulders. "'What is the use? You know it is Rex Strang.' "'Thank you, though I might remind you that it's the first time I've ever seen him. Sit down.' He waved her to a stool, himself taking the bench. "'I'm really about all in, you know. "'There's no turnpike from the Yukon here.' "'He drew a penknife and began extracting a thorn from his thumb. "'What are you going to do?' she asked, after a minute's wait. "'Eat and rest up before I start back. "'What are you going to do about—' "'She inclined her head toward the unconscious man. "'Nothing.' "'She went over to the bunk and rested her fingers lightly on the tight-curled hair.' "'You mean you will kill him?' she said slowly. "'Kill him by doing nothing? "'For you can save him if you will. "'Take it that way.' "'He considered a moment, "'and stated his thought with a harsh little laugh. <laughs> "'From time immemorial in this weary old world, "'it's been a not uncommon custom "'so to dispose of wife-stealers.' "'You are unfair, Grant,' she answered gently. "'You forget that I was willing and that I desired. "'I was a free agent.' "'Rex never stole me. "'It was you who lost me. "'I went with him, willing and eager, "'with a song on my lips. "'You might as well accuse me of stealing him. "'We went together.' "'A good way of looking at it,' Linde conceded. "'I see you are as keen a thinker as ever, Madge. "'That must have bothered him. "'A keen thinker can be a good lover.' "'And not so foolish,' he broke in. "'Then you admit the wisdom of my course?' "'He threw up his hands. "'That's the devil of it, talking with clever women. "'A man always forgets and traps himself. "'I wouldn't wonder if you went in with a syllogism.' "'Her reply was the hint of a smile in her straight-looking blue eyes "'and a seeming emanation of sex pride from all the physical being of her. "'No, I take that back, Madge. "'If you'd have been a numbskull, you'd have won him, "'or anyone else, on your looks and form and carriage.' 
I ought to know. I've been through that particular mill, and the devil take me. I'm still not over it. His speech was quick and nervous and irritable, as it always was. And as she knew, it was always candid. She took her cue from his last remark. Do you remember Lake Geneva? I ought to. I was rather absurdly happy. She nodded, and her eyes were luminous. There is such a thing as old sake. Won't you, Grant? Please, just remember back, a little. Oh, so little, of what we were to each other. Then? Now you're taking advantage, he smiled, and returned to the attack on his thumb. He drew the thorn out, inspected it critically, then concluded, No thanks. I'm not playing the good Samaritan. Yet you made this journey for an unknown man, she urged. His impatience was sharply manifest. Do you fancy I'd have moved a step if I'd have known he was my wife's lover? But you are here, now, and there he lies. You're a doctor. What are you going to do? Nothing. Why should I? I'm not at the man's service. He pilfered me. She was about to speak when a knock came on the door. Get out! he shouted. If you want any assistance, I said get out. Get a bucket of water. Set it down outside. You are going to, she began, tremulously, wash up. She recoiled from the brutality, and her lips tightened. Listen, Grant, she said steadily. I shall tell his brother. I know the Strang breed. If you can forget old sake, so can I. If you don't do something, he'll kill you. Why, even Tom Daw would if I asked him. You should know me better than to threaten, he reproved gravely, then added with a sneer, Besides, I don't see how killing me will help Rex. She gave a low gasp, closed her lips tightly, and watched his quick eyes take note of the trembling that had beset her. It's not hysteria, Grant, she cried hastily and anxiously, with clicking teeth. You never saw me with hysteria. I never had it. I don't know what it is, but I'll control it. I am merely beside myself. It's partly anger, with you. And it's apprehension and fear. I don't want to lose him. I do love him, Grant. He's my king, my lover. And I've sat here beside him so many dreadful days now. Grant, please, please. It's just nerves, he commented dryly. Stay with it. You can beat it. If you were a man, I'd say take a smoke. She went unsteadily back to the stool, where she watched him and fought for control. From the rough fireplace came the singing of a cricket. Outside, two wolf-dogs bickered. The injured man's chest rose and fell perceptibly under the fur robes. She saw a smile, not altogether pleasant, form on Linde's lips. "'How much do you love him?' he asked. Her breast filled and rose, and her eyes shone with a light, unashamed and proud. He nodded in token that he was answered. "'Do you mind if I take a little time?' He stopped, casting about for a way to begin. "'I remember reading a story. Herbert Shaw wrote it, I think. I want to tell you about it. There was a woman, young and beautiful, a man magnificent, a lover of beauty and a wanderer. I don't know how much like your Rick Strang he was, but I fancy a sort of resemblance.' "'Well, this man was a painter, a bohemian, a vagabond. 
He kissed, oh, several times, and for several weeks, and rode away. She possessed for him what I thought you possessed for me at Lake Geneva. In ten years she wept the beauty out of her face. Some women turn yellow, you know, when grief upsets their natural juices. Now it happened that the man went blind, and ten years afterward, led as a child by the hand, he stumbled back to her. There was nothing left. He could no longer paint. And she was very happy, and glad he could not see her face. Remember, he worshipped beauty, and he continued to hold her in his arms and believe in her beauty. The memory of it was vivid in him. He never ceased to talk about it, and to lament that he could not behold it. One day he told her of five great pictures he wished to paint. If only his sight could be restored to paint them, he could write fini and be content. And then, no matter how, there came into her hands an elixir. Anointed on his eyes, the sight would surely and fully return. Linde shrugged his shoulders. You see her struggle. With sight, he could paint his five pictures. Also, he would leave her. Because beauty was his religion. It was impossible that he could abide her ruined face. Five days she struggled. Then she anointed his eyes. Linde broke off and searched her with his eyes. The highlights focused sharply in the brilliant black. The question is, do you love Rex Strang as much as that? And if I do, she countered. Do you? Yes. You can sacrifice? You can give him up? Slow and reluctant was her, yes. And will you come with me? Yes. This time her voice was a whisper. When he's well. Yes. Do you understand? It must be like Lake Geneva over again. You will be my wife. She seemed to shrink and droop, but her head nodded. Very well. Very well. He stood up briskly, went to his pack, and began unstrapping. I shall need help. Bring his brother in. Bring them all in. Boiling water. Let there be lots of it. I've brought bandages, but let me see what you have in that line. He called and Daw came in. Here, Daw, build up that fire and start boiling all the water you can. The others had followed. Here, you, to the other man. Get that table out and under the window there. Clean it, scrub it, scald it. Clean, man, clean as you never cleaned a thing before. You, Mrs. Strang, will be my helper. No sheets, I suppose? Well, we'll manage somehow. You, his brother, I'll give the anesthetic, but you must keep it going afterward. Now listen while I instruct you. In the first place, but before that, can you take a pulse? Part 4 Noted for his daring and success as a surgeon, through the days and weeks that followed, Linde exceeded himself in daring and success. Never, because of the frightful mangling and breakage, and because of the long delay, had he encountered so terrible a case. But he had never had a healthier specimen of human wreck to work upon. Even then he would have failed, had it not been for the patient's cat-like vitality and almost uncanny physical and mental grip on life. There were days of high temperature and delirium, days of heart-sinking when Strang's pulse was barely perceptible, days when he lay conscious, eyes weary and drawn, the sweat of pain on his face. Linde was indefatigable, 
cruelly efficient, audacious and fortunate, daring hazard after hazard and winning. He was not content to make the man live. He devoted himself to the intricate and perilous problem of making him whole and strong again. Will he be a cripple? Madge queried. He will not merely walk and talk and be a limping caricature of his former self, Linday told her. He'll run and leap, swim riffles, ride bears, fight panthers, and do all the things to the top of his fool desire. And I warn you, he will fascinate women, just as of old. Will you like that? Are you content? Remember, you won't be with him. Go on, she breathed. Make him whole. Make him what he was. More than once, whenever Strang's recuperation permitted, Linday put him under the anesthetic and did terrible things, cutting and sewing, rewiring, and connecting up the disrupted organism. Later, developing a hitch in the left arm, Strang could lift it so far and no farther. Linday applied himself to the problem. It was a case of more wires, shrunken, twisted, disconnected. Again, it was cut and switch and ease and disentangle. And the only thing that saved Strang was his tremendous vitality and the health of his flesh. You're going to kill him, his brother complained. Let him be. For God's sake, let him be. A live and crippled man is better than a whole and dead one. Linday flamed in wrath. You get out. Out of this cabin with you. Till you can come back and say that I make him live. Pull. By God, man, you've got to pull with me with all your soul. Your brother's traveling a hairline razor edge on life. Do you understand? A thought can topple him off. Now get out and come back sweet and wholesome. Convinced beyond all absoluteness that he will live and be what he was before you and he played that fool game together. Get out of here. The brother, with clenched hands and threatening eyes, looked to Madge for counsel. Go, please, she begged. He's right. I know he's right. Another time, when Strang's condition seemed more promising, the brother said, Doc, you're a wonder, and all this time I've forgotten to ask your name. It's none of your damn business. Don't bother me. Get out. The mangled right arm ceased from its healing, burst open again in a frightful wound. Necrosis, said Linday. That settles it, groaned the brother. Shut up, Linday snarled. Get out. Take Daw with you. Take Bill, too. Get rabbits, alive, healthy ones. Trap them. Trap everywhere. How many? the brother asked. Forty of them. Four thousand. Forty thousand. All you can get. You'll help me. Mrs. Strang, I'm going to dig into that arm and size up the damage. Get out of here, you men. And he dug in, swiftly, unerringly, scraping away disintegrating bone, ascertaining the extent of the active decay. It never would have happened, he told Madge, if he hadn't had so many other things needing vitality first. Even if he didn't have vitality enough to go around. I was watching it, but I had to wait and chance it. That piece must go. He could manage without it, but rabbit bone will make it what it was. From the hundreds of rabbits brought in, he weeded out, rejected, selected, tested, selected and tested again, until he made his final choice. He used the last of his chloroform and achieved the bone graft, living bone to living bone, living man, living man and living rabbit, immovable and indissolubly bandaged and bound together, their mutual processes uniting and reconstructing a perfect arm. And through the whole trying period, especially as Strang mended, occurred passages of talk between Linde and Madge. 
"'Nor was he kind. "'Nor she rebellious. "'It's a nuisance,' he told her. "'But the law is the law, "'and you'll need a divorce before we can marry again. "'What do you say? "'Shall we go to Lake Geneva?' "'As you will,' she said. "'And he another time. "'What the deuce do you see in him anyway? "'I know he had money, "'but you and I are managing to get along with some sort of comfort. "'My practice was averaging around forty thousand a year then.' "'I went over the books afterward. "'Palaces and steam yachts were about all that was denied you. "'Perhaps you have explained it,' she answered. "'Perhaps you were too interested in your practice. "'Maybe you've forgotten me.' <laughs> "'He sneered. "'And may not your wrecks be too interested in panthers and short sticks?' "'He continually girded her to explain what he chose to call her infatuation for the other man. "'There is no explanation,' she replied. "'and finally she retorted. "'No one can explain love. "'I least of all. "'I only knew love, "'the divine and irrefragable fact. "'That's all. "'There was once, at Fort Vancouver, "'a baron of the Hudson Bay Company "'who chided the resident church of England parson. "'The dominie had written home to England "'complaining that the company folk, "'from the head factor down, "'were addicted to Indian wives. "'Why didn't you explain "'the extenuating circumstances?' "'demanded the baron.' "'replied the dominee. "'A cow's tail grows downward. "'I do not attempt to explain "'why the cow's tail grows downward. "'I merely cite the fact.' "'Damn clever women!' "'cried Linday, "'his eyes flashing his irritation. "'What brought you, "'of all places, into the Klondike?' "'she asked once. "'Too much money. "'No wife to spend it. "'I wanted a rest. "'Possibly overwork. "'I tried Colorado.' "'but their telegrams followed me, "'and some of them did themselves. "'I went on to Seattle. "'Same thing. "'Ransom ran his wife out to me in a special train. "'There was just no escape in it. "'Operation successful. "'Local newspapers got wind of it. "'You can imagine the rest. "'I had to hide, so I ran away to Klondike. "'And, well, Tom Daw found me playing whist in a cabin down on the Yukon.' came the day when Strang's bed was carried out of doors and into the sunshine. "'Let me tell him now,' she said to Linday. "'No, wait,' he answered. Later Strang was able to sit up on the edge of the bed, able to walk his first giddy steps, supported on either side. "'Let me tell him now,' she said. "'No, I'm making a complete job of this. I want no setbacks. There's a slight hitch still in that left arm. It's a little thing.' "'but I'm going to remake him as God made him. "'Tomorrow I plan to get into that arm and take out the kink. "'It'll mean a couple of days on his back. "'I'm sorry there's no more chloroform. "'He'll just have to bite his teeth on a spike and hang on. "'He could do it. "'He's got grit for a dozen men.' "'Summer came on. "'The snow disappeared, "'save on the far peaks of the Rockies to the east. "'The days lengthened till there was no darkness. "'The sun dipping at midnight, due north, "'for a few minutes beneath the horizon.' Linde never let up on Strang. He studied his walk, his body movements, stripped him again and again, and for the thousandth time made him flex all his muscles. Massage was given him without end, until Linde declared that Tom Daw, Bill, and the brother were properly qualified for Turkish bath and osteopathic hospital attendance. But Linde was not yet satisfied. He put Strang through his whole repertoire of physical feats, searching him the while for hidden weaknesses. He put him on his back again for a week, "'opened up his leg, 
"'played a deft trick or two with the smaller veins, "'scraped a spot of bone no larger than a coffee grain "'till not but a surface of healthy pink "'remained to be sewed over with the living flesh. "'Please, let me tell him,' Maggie begged. "'Not yet,' was the answer. "'You'll tell him only when I'm ready.' "'July passed, and August neared its end, "'when he ordered Strang out on the trail to get a moose. "'Linde kept at his heels, watching him, studying him. "'He was slender, a cat in the strength of his muscles, "'and he walked as Linde had seen no man walk, "'effortlessly, with all his body, "'seeming to lift the legs with supple muscles clear to the shoulders. "'But it was without heaviness, so easy that it invested him with a peculiar grace, "'so easy that to the eye the speed was deceptive. "'It was the killing pace of which Tom Doe had complained.' Linde toiled behind, sweating and panting, from time to time, when the ground favored, making short runs to keep up. At the end of ten miles he called a halt, and threw himself down on the moss. "'Enough!' he cried. "'I can't keep up with you.' He mopped his heated face, and Strang sat down on a spruce log, smiling at the doctor, and, with the camaraderie of a pantheist, at all the landscape. "'Any twinges, or hurts, or aches, or hints of aches?' "'Linde demanded. "'Strang shook his curly head and stretched his lithe body, "'living and joying in every fiber of it. "'You'll do, Strang. "'For a winter or two you may expect to feel the cold and damp in the old wounds. "'But that'll pass, and perhaps you can escape it altogether.' "'Doctor, you've performed miracles with me. "'I don't know how to thank you. "'I don't even know your name.' "'Which doesn't matter. "'I pulled you through, and that's the main thing.' "'But it's a name men must know out in the world,' Strang persisted. "'I'll wager I'd recognize it if I heard it.' "'I think you would,' was Linde's answer. "'But it's beside the matter. "'I want one final test, and then I'm done with you. "'Over the divide at the head of this creek "'is a tributary of the Big Windy. "'Daw tells me that last year you went over, "'down to the Middle Fork, and back again in three days. "'He said you nearly killed him, too. "'You are to wait here in camp tonight.' "'I'll send Doe along with the camp outfit. "'Then it's up to you to go to the Middle Fork and back "'in the same time as last year.' "'Part Five. "'Now,' Linde said to Madge, "'you have an hour in which to pack. "'I'll go and get the canoe ready. "'Bill's bringing in the moose and won't get back till dark. "'We'll make my cabin today, "'and in a week we'll be in Dawson.' "'I was in hope,' she broke off proudly. "'That I'd forego the fee?' "'A compact is a compact,' she said. "'But you needn't have been so hateful in the collecting. "'You have not been fair. "'You have sent him away for three days "'and robbed me of my last words to him. "'Leave a letter. "'I shall tell him all. "'Anything less than all would be unfair to the three of us,' "'was Linde's answer. "'When he returned from the canoe, "'her outfit was packed, the letter written. "'Let me read it,' he said, "'if you don't mind.' Her hesitation was momentary, then she passed it over. "'Pretty straight,' he said, when he had finished it. "'Now, are you ready?' He carried her pack down to the bank, and kneeling, steadied the canoe with one hand, while he extended the other to help her in. He watched her closely, but without a tremor she held out her hand to his and prepared to step on board. "'Wait,' he said. "'One moment. "'You remember the story I told you of the elixir?' I failed to tell you the end. And when she had anointed his eyes and was about to depart, it chanced that she saw in the mirror that her beauty had been restored to her. And he opened his eyes 
"'and cried out with joy at the sight of her beauty, "'and folded her in his arms. "'She waited, tense but controlled, for him to continue, "'a dawn of wonder faintly beginning to show in her face and eyes. "'You are very beautiful, Madge.' "'He paused, then added dryly, "'The rest is obvious. "'I fancy Rick Strang's arms won't remain long empty. "'Goodbye.' "'Grant! "'Grant!' she said, almost whispered, and then her voice was all the speech that needs not words for understanding. He gave a nasty little laugh. <laughs> I just wanted to show you I wasn't a bad sort. Coals of fire, you know. Grant. He stepped into the canoe and put out a slender, nervous hand. Goodbye, he said. She folded both her hands about his. "'Dear, strong hand,' she murmured, and Benton kissed it. He jerked it away, thrust the canoe out from the bank, dipped the paddle in the swift rush of the current, and entered the head of the riffle where the water poured glassily ere it burst into a white madness of foam. We hope you enjoyed The End of the Story by Jack London, here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We always appreciate reviews. If you enjoyed this story, please do stop and send us a review. We would appreciate that very, very much. We also greatly appreciate our Patreon supporters. Check out what we offer our supporters at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. Until next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone. Take care. Stay safe. And we'll be back soon.